Hello, everyone. Welcome to Talk of Fame. I'm Will Presti, and I'm so glad that you're joining us for our very first episode because we are starting off with a bang. Our guest today stars on one of the biggest hit TV shows of the past decade. They just started season nine. From the hugely popular Impractical Jokers, Murr himself, Mr. James Murray, joins us in just a bit. And if you want to find out what a fan once said to him while they were both standing junk out at a giant stadium urinal, then you need to stick around. But first, let me quickly tell you what this pod is all about. We're going to hit fame from every angle. I'm going to talk to celebrities about what it's like being famous, about their most insane fan interactions, and try to dig up some juicy details about their wildest nights out amongst other famous faces. I'm also going to bring in other interesting people from the worlds of entertainment, sports, food, politics, literature, media, all of whom have really cool stories to tell about their personal experiences with big stars. And I'm even gonna ask you guys to hit me up with your most memorable celebrity encounters and incorporate those into the show. It's gonna be a blast, super excited. As for me, I'm a writer comedian. I've written for late night shows, magazines, and even personally for celebrities. So I've had plenty of interactions with famous people. And I know firsthand that sometimes it's awesome, Sometimes it's disappointing. Sometimes you feel like you're really fitting in and sometimes you feel like you've made a complete ass out of yourself. And those are the kinds of things that we are going to explore on this podcast. Now, one thing I will say is that at the time of this interview with Murr, we were still figuring out exactly what this podcast would be. So while I do talk to him about celebrity, this episode definitely has more of a general interview feel, whereas in the future, we're really gonna focus on the theme of fame. So let's get to today's guest. In case you're the one person on earth who's never seen Impractical Jokers, it's the funniest show on TV. It's a hidden camera prank show where four best friends since high school challenge each other to do the most embarrassing things imaginable in front of unsuspecting people. And at the end of each episode, whichever joker refused to do the most things gets punished. And these punishments are as hilarious as they are diabolical. And you cannot refuse a punishment. Some of the punishments that our guest today, James Murray, has had to endure include interviewing his childhood celebrity crush, Danica McKellar from The Wonder Years, while greased up and wearing nothing but a Speedo, getting back-to-back -back prostate exams in front of a group of strangers at a men's health seminar, being injected with Novocaine before having to eat, drink, and speak in front of a culinary class, and having his eyebrows shaved off just before being his nephew's confirmation sponsor. You know, typical stuff from a Georgetown English major. In this interview, Murr talks about being famous, tells us what breast milk tastes like, which Joker could beat the crap out of the other three, and how myself, my mom, and Donnie Wahlberg helped him find his soulmate. So ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, I give you James Murray. Ladies and gentlemen, I could not be more excited about my guest tonight. He is a talented author, producer, but he's most well-known as one of the cast members of, honestly, one of my top five favorite TV shows of all time. And I do not say that lightly. Uh, the show is Impractical Jokers. The man is James Murray. Murray, how you doing, man? I'm good, buddy. How are you? I'm doing well. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, you, uh, we were just reminiscing. Can I ask you a question up, up top, if you don't yeah, mind? Yeah, what's up? Let's switch, the, switch the format. Together. I consider you a friend. Yes. We, we have each other's phone numbers. We text, we email, what have you. Right. I, I know, I've known you for several years. Yeah. I like you. I know your, your comedy material. Okay. How the hell did we meet? Uh, if, if you held a gun to my head and said, how did you first meet Will? I don't know, but I know I've known you for years. I knew your name immediately. I know we text, we, 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 we've right. talked before. We made how out. Did, we did, well, that was, yeah, I remember that, but how did we... <laughs> 
first time we met was happening. All right, you ready for this? Because it's a very sort of sacred story to me, really, because I'm a huge fan of the show. How we met, you, I lived in, right, I lived in Hell's Kitchen for a few years, right outside of Times Square. You and I were talking on social or something, and you mentioned that you were going to be at the Times Square Red Lobster. <laughs> and I think you might even have said it to like fans on Instagram, come on down. And I was like, dude, yeah. are you going to be there? You were like, yeah. And I was literally like a block away. Yeah. So I'm like, I'll come on down. And then all of a sudden I, there you were in, in red lobster and we sat down we talked and that was hallowed ground because as any mate, real fan of the show knows, you know, red lobster is like your guys intersect. And that's like the, that's I I felt like I was sitting with what do you got there? I, mean, I was like sitting with Elvis in Graceland or like you know there's red lobster gift cards all here at my desk. I get tons of red lobster gift cards from fans because they know that the guys and I, whenever it's it's partly a joke, but right. but but mostly not. Whenever like something good happens sure. in our lives, no matter where we are in our careers or lives, when something good happens, right. we go to Red Lobster to celebrate, right? That's cool. Well, yeah. it probably started, I'm assuming, maybe when you guys were younger and that was like in like that was like budget. Like oh, now yeah. you could go to like per se or le cirque or something but you you know you stick with it give me the lobster any day that's that's right cheddar bay biscuits i mean get out of here so i'll tell you a quick funny story so the old president of true tv wanted to take us out to dinner right Mm -hmm. and uh and we insisted that he takes out to red lobster and he said no let me take you to per se but and we said no no no, we want to go to red lobster (laughs) Uh, but before but we arrived early he had never been to red lobster in his life he was a a more distinguished kind of gentleman and And lovely guy in Greenlit, the, the TV show. He's no longer at the network. But we finally arranged his dinner for like two years to try to go back and forth on dates and what have you. He finally takes out to dinner. It's probably season two of Impractical Jokers. And we get there before he does. And the waiter comes over. And, and we said to the waiter, we're like, our friend's about to arrive. He's going to be paying for dinner. Could you help us pull a little prank on him? And the waiter says, well, we said, whenever he's never been to Red Lobster. So whenever we order anything on the menu, bring three times the quantity of it and charge us for three times that item. Okay. So it was him, the number two of the network, and the four of us. None of us had any liquor. We, it was just food. and things. So when they brought one pound of crab legs, they brought three pounds of crab legs and charged us for three pounds. So right. when the bill comes, he opens the portfolio, and it unfolds. The, the, the bill unfolds three times. Like a centerfold, and, right? And the bill was $800 for six people at Red Lobster. <laughs> did he say a word or did he no, have to play cool? Like no was, big deal. He was flustered. He's like, he, you could see, he was like shocked and he goes, Oh my God, this is so expensive. He right. Prices. And we said, what? And I, I'm on the Red Lobster mailing list. And so I had a $5 coupon in my pocket and I took out the mailing list coupon and I slid it over to him and he crumpled it and threw it against the wall. <laughs> and for two years, he never knew that, that we had arranged that. Dude, I love how you're like, yeah, it's kind of a joke. But I am on the Red Lobster mailing list. <laughs> <laughs> I do, yeah, I do stand outside with one of those signs, you know, doing this. Come on, yeah, I do. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I'm responsible for twenty percent of sales. But you know what's? You probably are. But you know what's funny is okay about that day when I first met. The first time we met in person, at that moment, you were single. Yeah, you had just recently come off of the infamous accidental crop dusting of the hottest girl in your building in the elevator incident. <laughs> Wow. And you were wondering if Cupid was ever going to find you. And I told yeah. you that day, I said, Mur, I said, you're going to be fine. I said, you're, you're successful. You're a good guy. And I said, my mom says you're adorable. Oh, I, and then I, you, and yeah. you look like Donnie Wahlberg. I, I get that a lot. And, and I said, who I've met, by the way, since then. And I said, it's going to happen for you. And now as we sit here, 
you are a happily married man. Boom. What is that? Give me the, show me the finger. Look at that thing. Boom, baby. Beautiful. Yeah, it's, it, it all worked out. My, it the, worked out. You know, it and worked. that happened, it happened quick. I think my speech, like, I feel like next day you know, and. I know it was, it's funny because I, uh, it talk, you talk about like life decisions. So the first book I ever wrote, Awakened, right? I wrote it in 2004, long before Impractical Jokers. And I couldn't get anybody to read it or publish it. I had to get on TV and get famous and get a fan base for them to even read it. And it came out like three, I guess, three years ago, mm. 15 years after I wrote it, it came out in stores and did really well. And now we have eight books coming out all together in the next two years. And anyways, when the first book came out, this is a, a book I wrote 15 years ago, that opening weekend of the book, when we had like a book launch event in New York City, and I had after parties and things like that. My now wife came to the event at night and we hit it off immediately. And I remember going back to my uh, apartment after that, that first opening weekend. And I said to my like kind of inner circle of friends, I said, did you see that girl tonight that I was talking to? We totally hit it off. And then here we are now, three years later. And we're married, yeah. and it's all because of a choice I made in 2004 to write a book that failed. That then I got published, which led to the book launch, which led to me meeting my now wife. You see that, guys, fellas, write a book, gain a wife. That's how you find Dex <laughs> yeah. uh, Dig writers. Okay, I'm not going to say that you're responsible for our marriage, but I'll let the listeners interpret. You might, you or your mom or Donnie Wahlberg might be responsible for my marriage. some combination in the cosmic yeah. universe. It came together. <laughs> just right now you guys let only give too much of your personal information away but i've read this so it's it's public uh, i know the yeah. tablets follow you everywhere you guys live in princeton right yeah every time i take the trash out the bloids are right there waiting for me yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, I bloids. the bloids you know they call, you know when, when you're in the industry they call it the bloids well see i don't know that i don't know that but you're a print you're in princeton i am and you went to princeton too i i went to princeton i can i could show you around a little bit you 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 uh take into the town you're going to you know you're hitting up like uh Winberries or yeah. You know, any of the cool places? What are you doing? I don't know if I know the same cool places. We, we, we uh, to be honest, we go to the pretty much the same restaurant every single week. If you, uh, <laughs> it's publicly known, it's been in papers or whatever. And, uh, but the Bloids. I the Bloids. I go to Witherspoons every week because they get great drinks and good service. But right. we go to a lot of restaurants in town and we don't really hit up the bars anymore, but you can't, of course, because the bars aren't really open. Sure. Anymore. But we never really did either, right? Um, right. Because especially when college is back in, it's a little too too crazy. But but right. I love it. I love it. I love the town. We've been here, I guess, almost a year and a half now. We've lived here. That's cool, man. And yeah, I mean, you're a Georgetown guy. We're a couple of nerds. I mean, let's call yeah. it what it is. You know, we'll watch some uh, uh, something with Neil deGrasse Tyson. So wait a minute. So okay, you you got to, I mean, what I, I think yeah, I've I seen. Tell you, by the way, one of the greatest moments of my life is they asked me to be on a panel with Neil deGrasse Tyson. Was it a punishment for Neil deGrasse Tyson? No, I'm kidding. It was not. I'm, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a massive, massive physics buff nerd, right. quantum physics, astronomy nerd. Okay. And, uh, and somehow they, they got wind of it. And they cast me kind of as like, cast me. They booked me as kind of like relief, you know? Yeah. Um, Did you do it? I, of course I did. It was one of the best moments of my life. Was it live? Was it in front of a, a panel with students? Or? In front of 4,000 people at Comic-Con. So I held, dude. My friend, I held my own, but I was definitely supposed to be the comedic relief, but I held my own. That's awesome, man. Um, well, you guys kind of did something like that to Joe in one of the punishments. We did. It's one of my favorite the, the plank constant, you know, I remember that part of it. I mean, it's I, terrible. One of my favorite lines is asking Joe in front of a panel of pretty savvy tech and uh, technology and physics buffs in the audience, asking right. him, 
what his feelings on superposition was. And he said, yeah, I could take it or leave it. Uh, <laughs> I was like, you can take or leave superposition. He goes, yeah. I was like, what's your position on, uh, what's your take on a uh, superposition in the, in, in quantum, in the quantum world? He goes, right. take it or leave it. Take it or leave it. Yeah. <laughs> Something hugely immensely important to the, to the universe and to life. Yeah. Take it or leave it. You yeah. know, no, no major feelings. And I it. can argue with him, man. I can take it or leave it too, to be honest. But so you're okay. <laughs> so you are all right. So you're in Princeton. I've seen a little bit of your house, I think, because they mess with your house. By the time this airs, I believe season nine. I can't believe it has it does seem like nine years already for you. Yep. But they turn your entire lawn pink. Uh, and sure. is that it's, is there like safe for lawn pink dye, or is your lawn going to no, die? It, it, parts of it have has died. it already. Yeah, they turned the uh, entire thing. Oh my god! I mean, I mean, and there's more. This is only the front of it. Then it goes back. There's like another two acres back here that, that was all. Oh, pink. you're so you're such a big you have such a big house. Wow. You know bro. what? <laughs> I, have very, I have a very average size house, but I have a very pretty yard. I will say. I've seen it and in the Mers Farms commercial. In my life, I've never owned a house. I've never. I've always rented. I've never owned a car until right. a year ago. So back off me, man. Ah. You know what? I'm sitting here in my New York City little tiny shoebox. And so anybody, if someone has a yard at all, to me, that's a, that's like, oh, okay. Keep, you know, I see you know, you're a big dog. first three seasons of Impractical Jokers, I was living with Joe in a 700 square foot apartment. It was a one bedroom that had a, a small home office with no windows. And we put up a bullshit wall right. and, and ran power into the room from the hallway. And that was Joe's bedroom. Dude, and that was for the first three seasons of Impractical Jokers. You, so, I'm, just, like, I'm just breaking balls because you deserve everything that you've got. I'm, I'm such a huge, I'm such a huge fan of yours. And I know, okay, so season nine though, you guys had to film during the pandemic. I mean, what the hell was that like? Because your show, more than any show, is dependent on you know going up to random people. You don't know. You, it's not on a set. You can't control whether or not the person that you're putting your nose on in the supermarket right. has been tested. So how the hell did you guys go about that? And did you film in Princeton a little bit too? Yeah, we uh, we actually pretty much only film in Jersey now because we we're, we can't come back to the city. But we did a couple of things. It took we were down for a few months right. trying. To, we, we like everybody, we kind of stopped down work at maybe March twelfth or so. Right. And then for the first few months, of course, like everybody, our heads are spinning with what was going on and trying to grapple with it and deal with it. And for a long time, it took us to we we had to think, think about how do you make a show that requires human interaction when you can't interact with humans anymore. Right. Right. So, and they have masks on, so they're inherently covered and, and that's not good for a show that requires their reactions. You need mm. to see how they react to scenarios. So, so it took us a little while to figure it out. In the meantime, while we were trying to figure out how to do the show, we created a new show called Impractical Joker's Dinner Party. Right. Which I love. Which I love. Summer, yeah. And we did 16 episodes of that for a, a full season. That became its own full fledged, really funny show from quarantine but it stands on its own and we hope to do many more seasons of it well the coin flip that ended with the q coin flip and we don't yeah. know if you guys are coming back or not oh, a little shout out to uh the it was the sopranos then there was this i heard the music coming in i'm like they're really yeah. going here they're really going to do this for it yeah. thank god tbs was i mean true tv was so supportive because it's not cheap to get the rights to that song to play and, wow yeah that's uh, right it, 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 we it was down to the wire whether whether we could use journey and they proved it to their credit they approved it 
Well, you flipped, they flipped the coin and then they figured out and it said yeah. to, to pay for yeah, the rights. I would love to do many more seasons of it because it was a lot of fun. And I get to film it for my living. So that's that's cool. awesome. But you guys were able to find people and able to do some kind of, you have to be really creative with how you film this year, I'm assuming. I mean, so, I saw. So that's a lot of what the challenge was over the summer. Like we, we worked throughout the summer, like to try to, and one of the cool things about Joker is that we can constantly spin the format and twist it in new directions in different ways. Right. We do every season we find a new way to change the games and things like that right. to keep the show constantly evolving. If, it, if the show doesn't evolve, it dies always. Mm. So what we did was we said, okay, we can't keep moving around. We can't be in a different location every single day. It's too dangerous, right? For our crew, for our families, for us, for people coming in. So that was gone. So we're like, okay, we need to film in the same location for a week or two weeks straight. And we need to film. So like uh, we filmed a lot at like Middlesex College. Campus is empty. So we have multiple access to multiple places on campus. We have right. a house they have on campus. It looks like a regular house. They have a classroom. They have focus groups rooms. They have hallways. They have office cubicles. So it wasn't the so, same thing over and over again. Okay. You got so, so in two weeks, I can film seven different challenges that look totally different on TV, Very but it's cool. the same space. So our crew can go in there, sanitize the whole thing, the place is empty, and then we can choose to bring in people that don't know they're on TV. And then we can, what we do is we bring somebody in, let's say one challenge is we hired somebody to work as security for the building for a day, right? right? So the guy comes in, he has some security background, right? And he's legit like getting hired to work and he's gonna make a hundred bucks. He's going to work the front desk of security. What he doesn't know is there's hidden cameras around. Right. And when he walks into campus, he gets COVID tested just like we were. Uh, so he knows that everyone in the building is COVID free. He's right. COVID free. So we hope that they take their mask off and they do because they know that everyone around them is COVID free. And then one of us would come in and interact with the guy and he has no idea he's on television. He's just there to work at the front desk, you know? Sure. And the craziness starts. So little tricks like that. Well, we did another one where they had a house on campus. It looked like a regular house, right? That people live in. And we hired two people to build furniture in the backyard of the house. And so they're outdoors, they're naturally distanced. They don't have masks on, but they're outside in the backyard and they're 20 feet apart from each other. And they're building Ikea furniture. And the balcony of the house in the backyard, is they have this balcony. We had Joe come out and he's the artist in residence living in the house. And we told him to, he, we dressed him like, um, what's his name? Uh, from Cobra Kai. The main one? Yeah, the main, the bad guy. Is it Ricky? What is the it? blonde hair guy. The blonde hair guy. We dressed yeah, him we'll call him that. Guy. Cobra Kai, right? Uh, and, We're going to get killed by fans of Cobra Kai. I know. By it's, what the hell is it? I, I just watched season three, too. It's uh, Daniel LaRusso and... Dude, I have to li literally look Johnny. it up because I don't know. Johnny. I was like a Johnny, little... Johnny. Johnny. Well, Johnny, yes. Right, yes, Johnny. Right? So we dressed him up as Johnny from Cobra Kai, and he's out there on the balcony doing his practicing his karate moves. And so... Physically, it's already really funny that these two people are down building furniture on the lawn and they're looking up at this idiot, this middle-aged idiot, to body <laughs> 10 feet above them. But it's a safe challenge. Everyone feels safe. There's no right, matter. Right. And it's still freaking funny, you know? Yeah. Is, the, is so, it getting harder for you guys to film anyway because you're becoming famous? I mean, honestly, because people have to know. Even You know what I say? Even if people don't know exactly... Like, okay, I've never seen a network dedicate more, a higher percentage of its programming <laughs> to one show. It's the, True TV is the impractical Joker network, and I'm totally fine with it. So I feel like everybody at least is like, wait a minute, I kind of know that guy. I mean, is it getting harder to film? Yeah, but it's still manageable. And honestly, that's a really good problem to have. It, it means of course. Like, like, you know, obviously season nine starts February 4th, and 
hopefully it'll be season 10 and 11, 12. And yeah, I mean, shoot, man, I, I, we never thought we'd get past season one. Well, you guys do so many things. Was there a moment, was there like a single moment when you were like, I think we might have something here because I know for me, there was a single moment that hooked me, which is I had seen a couple times earlier on the show. I'm like, this is pretty funny. But then when I became an addict, I hear my dad crying. I was visiting my parents. I hear my dad crying, laughing in the other room. And he's like, you got to come see this. And it was you guys getting tattooed by Joe. (laughs) As funny as your guys' tattoos were, the Sal tattoo, just having nothing to do with him. You know, yours was skydiving and and cats for Q. And the fact that he just puts a random Jaden Smith tattoo <laughs> on Sal's leg, it yeah. was so funny. And that was the moment I was like, these guys really commit. Like they really, I'm like, are these real tattoos? Like to me, that's when I was like, I have to watch this every yeah. week. Was there a moment, was it shaky in the beginning ever? Was there a moment that like got you guys to like, wow, this is a real good thing? Oh yeah. I mean, gosh, you know, season one and two of a show, you live and die by the ratings every day. Every single, every Thursday, Friday, we'd be like in the office, you know, like waiting for the overnight ratings to come in and, and, and literally it, it would either ruin the next week or not, depending on, and there were highs and lows. And sometimes for no reason, just the ratings drop. And, right. and thankfully we, we it caught on pretty quick. The, the, first, the time I realized that I think it was catching on because you shoot a hidden camera in a bubble, you don't right. know how it's affecting people. The time I thought, uh, the, I think we, the four of us realized that it was catching on was when we created the tour, right? So we right. the first time we ever went on tour was maybe 2014 or whatever. And we just we just booked a couple of comedy, comedy clubs in Iowa, right? Some guy reached out to us who's still our tour manager to this day and said, hey, you know, I work with a couple of comedy clubs in Iowa. He sounded trustworthy on the phone. I liked his style, liked him. He was no bullshit, just a normal, regular guy. Right. And we said, okay, let's go to Iowa. We had no show. We didn't know what the hell the live tour was. Right. So we flew out to Iowa. And, dude, it was these comedy clubs that fit, like, 300 people. And they they squeezed in seven, 800 people to these comedy clubs. And it, it was – in the first weekend of the tour, it was like, holy shit. The guy, the, the third night of, the, of that opening weekend, in his little – the little hall, like a VW hall, kind a VFW of thing. thing, right? VFW hall, yeah. VFW hall. The guys in the back printing new tickets to sell them. <laughs> no, there's like a thousand people, and I looked at the guys. I was like, "Holy shit!" Was, they only expected like 200 people, and you have a thousand people showing up in a cornfield in Iowa. Right. And that was the. I remember that weekend. I was like, maybe people were watching the show, you wow. know? And That's then, cool, man. and then, like, like within a year, we we're doing three thousand person theaters and then two years later we're doing five thousand person theaters and then three years later we're doing like ten thousand person smaller hockey stadiums or mm. you know then we moved on to arenas then we sold out madison square garden the, the tour has been the the litmus test for me of to see how the show is doing honestly right. I, I think the two parallel each other because you have no idea how you do because it's a hidden right. camera show I don't i've know. seen you guys at caroline's and the people were going wild and, and, and outside like waiting like all the girls waiting for you guys, like where, you know, like you're the Beatles people like standing on the corner so they could see which door you guys were going to come out of. I was like, dude, it's good to be an impractical joker. <laughs> All right. Let me do like a quick, let me do like a, a little quick six here. Just kind of quick, six quick questions. I want to get like a quick reaction out of you to see what comes to mind. Okay. Right. All right. Here we go. Weirdest fan interaction or request you've ever had. Giant stadium, probably 
five years ago, uh, halftime at Giant Stadium. I go up to, you know, there's a million guys in the men's room. You know, if you've ever been there, they're lined up right. behind every urinal. There's no divider between any of the urinals. Just you squeeze shoulder to shoulder with the dudes around you, right? Doing yeah. your business. And the guy to my left, I mean, he's right against me. He, he looks over and goes, Am I on TV right now? I was like, bro, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just peeing, man. I'm not, you're not, we, like in his mind, he's on hidden camera in Giant Stadium in the bathroom. No one trusts you wherever you go. By the way, urinals that don't have dividers, I get stage fright. I can't do okay. it. Ladies, you have no idea what it's like. If they, it's just literally, imagine there's just nothing between you and anybody else in the stall. Very strange. That is weird. During Sal's pirate punishment, you were tricked into drinking breast milk. What does it mm-hmm. taste like? It was, uh, it tasted like milk that was turned. But, but okay, milk that was turned. Not yeah. turned. Not turned. Turned would <laughs> be awesome. You ever have that turned milk? No, it wasn't that turned milk. Okay, this is uh, between Bayamba, Kayla, Randy Couture, Tommy Dreamer. You've all gotten your asses kicked by professional fighters on the show. What I want to know is, we used to do this with my friends all the time growing up. We were all athletes and stuff. Give me the ranking of who could kick whose ass from one to four within the group. Wow. Oh, 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 among us? Among you. Okay. Although the other one got a wow out of you. I feel like, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I thought you wanted to right too. You know? I, was thinking, I, I was thinking you guys, but. Okay. So I say Q first. And I'll tell you why. Because if he's had a few drinks, yeah. he's got that crazy Irish fighting power, like a sure. leopard. You know, he's just, bam. I feel yes. like he, he can have those crazy eyes. I would okay. put him first, followed by Sal because of, you know, his, he's bigger than me, he, you know, but I can outrun Sal. Mm. Well, if you can't, now, running you know, is not part of the fight. You can't win. A, you don't beat Mike Tyson you can, if you run out of the ring. <laughs> can, I can run. And if you had to fight. You're in, a locked, of, you're in a yeah. locked quarters. Yeah. I, he, his heart will eventually give out before mine does. <laughs> no, I would say Q, Sal, me, Joe. You Joe, oh, so Joe, there's not even the wild man Joe. He's not going to start throwing haymakers. You, you could take him. I don't know. Okay. I feel like I could. He's got dad Joe. strength. All right, hold up. The other jokers say you look like a ferret. Do you agree? No. No, I disagree okay. as well. You had Donnie Wahlberg, and we'll leave it at that. Um, your show has infiltrated the world of politics numerous times. Which of you would make the best politician? No. <laughs> Future president? What do we got? Uh, no, no, no. I'm not a single one of us. We are. We, we, we would be the first. <laughs> for, for what? You can schmooze. You can charm. You're all intelligent guys. What? Just too much of a, a search history? A checkered past? No, I don't know. You know what it is? Our job is to make people laugh. That That's where we end. Uh, our job begins and ends with making your life better and Fair laugh. enough. And, and, and enough. I'm sure that politicians have the same mot- uh, motivations in life. Making your life better. Uh, and then uh, this one, last one, is you guys have been partying together since high school. Who parties the hardest? Who wakes up with the most stories of, did you hear what happened with so-and-so last night? You know, it depends on when. I think in our 20s, it right. would be, I think in their 20s, it would be Sal. Okay. In our late 20s into 30s, it would be Joe. In our mid-30s to early 40s, it would be me. And it has never, nor will ever be Q. Nor will ever be cute, even though that kind of contradicts the ira, the crazy eyes drinking, but it's never really nah, okay. He's pretty calm. Know, he's a pretty he's laid back house. dude. He's got his house. That's all he needs. All right. That sounds like that sounds like a plan. I can get I can get with that. Now listen to me. I want I wanted to ask you, Mur. There are so many iconic moments that each of you have had. I don't know if, if you have a mo- I was trying to come up with a list of my favorite, my most iconic moments. 
the prostate exam on live TV on our on national TV. Incredible. The you matching the energy with the guy oh, you know, wow. of the apartment. I love that. But and all these different ones, them messing with your pants. But my two favorite, my, I think the two most iconic moments, tell me if you agree, at least with one of these for Murr is either Danica McKellar mm-hmm. or the like a boss Tumblr punishment. Yeah, we were just talking about that today because we're, we're writing the new season now. We're coming up with the ideas. We were just talking about Tumblr. Tumblr is, I think, iconic because it's, it was tense, man. It was so tense. I thought that guy in front of me was going to, you know, we cut some of it out for TV, but I yeah. thought it was going to pop me. I thought it was going to turn around and pop me. But wow. it's also me just, yeah, I, th- that, that, that is one of those punishments that I do pretty well in. I would argue, though, that maybe me dressed as Dracula might be better than Tumblr. I see that all the time. Like, it's like they have that on a loop. That one comes out yeah. like every fifth episode and getting back in the coffin and why am I Dracula? And then the crowd, yeah. you get them on your side yeah, with the dancing that you're doing. Around. I know. But, um, it, yeah, it, I went over. It's been brought to my attention by my aunt and uncle, actually. They think that you get punished worse than everybody else. And I started thinking about it. The things they do to you, like needles in the mouth, in the nipples for the piercings, giving you, you know, poison to get your body to, to get bumps and all these different, you know, spraying it with deer urine. Like, it's like a Saw movie. It's <laughs> like, do you feel like they, what so is up, Mer? Well, I watched the show. Uh, so I'm not sure when this airs exactly, but February 11th, seven, seven days, uh, right. February 11th, uh, episode two of yeah. Season of Impractical Jokers involves a punishment with me, my nurse wife, a urologist, okay. a urologist, <laughs> a catheter, oh, dude. and a proctologist as well. This is like a bad, okay, a proctologist, a, a urologist. And my wife walk into walk a bar. Into a bar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, crazy. my God, yeah, dude. I do get the worst, yeah. But, you know. Where does, your books that you write, they're like horror and suspense. And it's funny because yeah. I don't see that coming from you. I know. Sal's hobby is stand up, and I get that that flows and like cue with comic books. But then with you, you know, I know one of them was a giant uh, arachnid chasing people around, which to me my, just sounds my, like my the novelization. Is, my laptop is propped on the book right now. Don't, don't move, move you know? right? And uh, you, yeah, there's a couple of I have the the, the brink, don't move, awaken, but the, begin, yeah. the where does that come from? The horror, uh, the thriller. I, I, well, I love writing. I was an English major, a literature major. major. I lo- always loved thrillers and horror and comedy. That's it, you know? So, but there's no limit to what we create. It's, I love it all, man. Like, I love scaring the shit out of people. It's fun. And <laughs> I love making people laugh. That's fun, too. The, 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 the tarantula one, that's like a novelization of Q's punishment. Yeah, fear. yeah And like, so if you think fear. about it, dude, there are a lot of punishments. That's a million-dollar idea for you right there. You take the punishments and write a book about you can't escape punishments. And you get Smush the Clown, who's an evil clown. Yeah. And you get Sal in a cornfield, and you surrounded by sharks. And there are your horror, horror plots right there, man. Sal's yeah. stuck in a video game. Yeah, that's actually a pretty good idea. Like, I don't know. Actually like blowing up the, the, the punishments from Jokers into novel form. It's a fun idea. So I know you got to run, but what's next? I mean, you guys, you always expand. I mean, the, the cruise, a couple different types of shows. You got the movie. You got There's a home game. There's a home game. There's action figures. What's next, man? What's the future look like for the Jokers? You got another nine, ten years in you? We, uh, uh, let's see. By the time this airs, uh, there will likely be some pretty cool announcements coming up. 
that you uh, want to break on the show right now? I will not, but coming up <laughs> very, the very week this airs, uh, there will be some breaking news. Uh, wow. with some big announcements to come about Jokers, about uh, some other things as well that we're right. really, really excited about. Okay. And, uh, and as part of that announcement will come some really cool, big fun new opportunities for the guys and I, which we're very excited about. I know that's it's awesome. very big. Hey, you know what? That was, an, you see, so you say you shouldn't be a politician. That was politics 101. You said everything and nothing in the same sense. I said nothing that. and everything, but watch, they, check the news next week or this week or whatever day this comes out. Right. And when, uh, but that, that you'll, you'll understand part of our grand plan when this airs. Wow. It'll all make sense soon, everybody. Mur, anything else? I'm reluctant to ask the guy. LA Times on February 4th. How about that? Boom. Look at that. You heard it here, folks. LA Times, February 4th. Uh, It sounds very important. I don't know if this is going to be up by then, but look back at it or look it up on the internet, kids. Look look Uh, up the LA Times on February 4th. Mur, I'm reluctant to ask a guy who's had more than a few things inserted into his rectum this question on television. (laughs) But do you have anything else you'd like to plug? (laughs) (laughs) that was smooth that was smooth dude uh, you know joker's new season on misery index brand new season on tbs every tuesday night you can check us out on tuesdays tbs thursday true tv Uh, some cool announcements to come and we're writing hard at work writing our new thriller the stowaway which comes out this september where can they catch you on social media you know all the places you can find me just look you can find me social security number yeah that's uh zero eight three one one three nine seven two you just blew somebody's spot up. I know. Um, Mer, oh, yeah, honestly, yeah, dude, no joke. One of my favorite shows, one of my favorite people. You're such a good dude. And I'm really glad that you stopped by. This is awesome. And uh, right. continued luck. I know things are going to continue getting better and better for you. So it's thanks. great to see you. Let's hang out soon, okay? Sounds good. Take care, man. That was James Murray. Hope you guys had as much fun as I did. Now, the news that Murr kept teasing would be coming out by the time this episode aired has since broken. I'm checking it out on Deadline right now. It is awesome. The Tenderloins, which is the name of the Impractical Jokers actual improv troupe itself, has reached a deal with Warner Media that's going to allow them to develop and produce original scripted and unscripted programming for TNT, TBS, True TV, and HBO Max. So these guys are going to be creating shows on all sorts of channels and platforms. I cannot wait to see what they come up with. They're so damn creative. So that's awesome. Murr, congratulations. I hope to get Sal and Q and Joe on the show eventually. So guys, check out, uh, you know, just keep an eye out for the shows that the Tenderloins are going to be creating because I'm sure they're going to be awesome. Um, And also, Impractical Jokers has been picked up for a 10th season, which is an absolute no-brainer. So congrats to these guys. Sky's the limit. They're just killing it. And as I said to you guys, this show is not just about celebrities and talking to them. We want to hear from you. So reach out to us at talkoffamepodcast.com or hit me up on social media at Will Presti. We're also going to create a Talk of Fame handle for different social media outlets. And tell us stories of famous people you've met, cool celebrity encounters. I just reached out earlier to some fans. Um, We're going to read yours at the end of the show. So for tonight, this came in from on Twitter from Justin Van Wyen. Uh, he says that one time he beat Kid from Kid and Play in a dance-off. Kid and Play, of course, the early 90s hip-hop duo. Had a couple of, I believe, TV shows and a few movies, the House Party movies. He beat Kid in a dance-off at Lawrence Taylor's 60th birthday party. Lawrence Taylor, of course, arguably the greatest football player of all time. As a Giants fan, I know he was the last defensive player to win NFL MVP. And then it says also, uh, same night I told Chris Tucker 
that my favorite work from his catalog was the Rock My World music video with Michael Jackson. Remember, Chris Tucker was in that music video with Michael Jackson, and Chris Tucker always would talk on like late night shows about how he was friends with Michael Jackson. I think people thought he was joking. People would like laugh, but I think he really was friends with Michael Jackson. If you think about Rush Hour, in the first movie, he does the Michael Jackson dance in the street after blowing up that car or truck or whatever it was. And in the second one, he's singing Michael Jackson karaoke, right? Don't Stop Till You Get Enough, I believe. I think he really was boys with Michael Jackson. I got to check out that music video on YouTube. It's been a while for Rock My World. Justin goes on to say, he bro-hugged me and told me I was the first white person to tell him that. So you got some love there. So that's awesome. Those are the kinds of stories I want to hear from you guys. What a night for Justin. He beats Kid from Kid and Play in a dance-off. He's at Lawrence Taylor's birthday party, which is cool enough as it is. And then he gets some serious respect and love from Chris Tucker. Guys, this has been a blast. You can check out Talk of Fame anywhere you get your podcasts and at talkoffamepodcast.com. We want you to hit us up. We have so many great guests coming up with so many unbelievable stories to tell. I hope to see you again next week.